You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 262 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I am swamped, actually. Like if you really want the actual truth, I'm swamped. Um, Just everything, Val. I'm swamped with trying to finish a manuscript and trying to do all those last minute end of year things and Christmas and kids at school, mm. um, my youngest is graduating from year six, so there's a whole range Aww. of whole range of stuff that goes along with that, and it just you know, I'm just in that, and I'm sure that there's many, many people out there who would be in the same boat of just trying to keep afloat till the end of the year. That's pretty much where I am. Yes. Do you think that you will get through your to do list before Christmas, or at uh, least a huge chunk of it? I, I think I will. Oh, yes. Wow. I will. I will. But it's not going to be without pain to do it. <laughs> and you and know, how the, do you do it? How do you get through it? Like, what do you meth- what methodically, Val? Okay. I get through it methodically, and I think yeah. that's the only way that anyone can get through it. It's not even about strategies. It's not about anything. It's about mm. methodically going from one thing to the other, mm. and that's all you can do. And I'm sure again that there are many people out there who are listening to me nodding their heads, going, oh, yeah, for sure. because there's just so many. Um, it just adds a whole layer. I mean, you know, the whole Christmas thing adds an entire new dimension of section of your brain that is taken up with banal things to think about. Yes, yes. Mm. Oh my God, including ham and turkey and things like that. Yeah, things like you know, order the ham has been on my to do list for quite some time, but. I am you saved. haven't ordered it yet? No, because I'm saved because, because <laughs> oh. well, th- yeah, no. Well, I basically like I, I looked around at my options and I decided that in actual fact I could probably get one at Coles and that would be fine if I needed to because I glaze. It doesn't make that much difference. Yeah. Um, but then uh, my dad my, mm. you know, went to the local club on Sunday night and won the ham. Oh, so I we love don't it have, when you win things at the club. Won so the cool. ham. So we don't have to think about the ham anymore which is excellent. Wow. Tick. That's awesome. And I don't do turkey, so I never think about turkey ever. I know. I think turkey's too dry. Do you ever win things at the club? No, I don't. But my husband, the builder, is incredibly tinny when it comes to a meat raffle. It's very, very rare for him to buy a ticket in a meat raffle and not win something. So, you know, if we're getting – if we need to stock the freezer, we just pop on down and he comes home with a tray. (laughs) He does. I, it's That's actually so uncanny. It is uncanny. I don't know how he does it, um, but generally That's speaking, he skill. will come home. It is an excellent skill to have, but he reckons it's kind of like he's wasting his luck. You know, in actual fact, probably what he should be doing is buying lottery tickets or something rather than meat tray tickets, and yes. it's probably true. 
because we don't That's, enter, we don't do any of that. We don't do lotteries, lot. We don't do any no. of those. Um, we basically save up all his luck for the lottery, uh, for the meat tray. And but I used to save mine up because I used to buy tickets in the Boys Town raffles. You know, I was gonna like. Yes. I, I think we talked about this many years ago because I have been quite obsessed with them for some time. And I was, you know, quite determined that I was gonna save all my luck because I was gonna win a house, mm. right? So I never bought tickets in me. I, I don't buy any tickets in anything in case I, I lose my luck, my one shot, you know. Um, but, you know, it's never worked for me. I've never won anything, ever. Speaking of luck, you were lucky for me. I was lucky for you. Yes. How was I lucky, How was I lucky for you? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so went out the other night for a fancy dinner, like at a, you know, really fancy restaurant because. Fancy schmancy. Fancy schmancy because of you. Because of me, so, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I am not a big fan of horse racing, I might add, but um, the other day my partner saw that there was a horse called Mapmaker. <laughs> so he put $10 on it, right? So because, you know, he thought, oh, there's Alison's book. Put $10 on Mapmaker. Mapmaker wins and he gets $50. But then he just, because he got $50 free money kind of thing, he just yeah. thought, oh, I'll put $50 on, I don't even remember, just some other, some other horse that obviously had a name that appealed and won $800. <laughs> All thanks That's to Mapmaker. Go Mapmaker, there you are. Mapmaker will bring you luck, people. <laughs> That's so funny. I well, know. I'm I'm really glad. Maybe it's actually me. Maybe I'm the maybe it's I think maybe so. you're I'm the, the link. denominator. I have yeah. to be there. I'm never going to win it myself, but if I'm with you or if I'm associated, then uh-huh. you will win. Okay, let's test this theory. If anybody <laughs> has any thought of me associated with anything that they win ever, can you let me know because I just I I really would like to be a good luck charm. I think that would be yes. hilarious. E or <laughs> The good luck charm. <laughs> that is so cool. We did have a little toast to you at the fancy <laughs> restaurant because it wouldn't have happened without Map Maker. <clears throat> I love it. Okay. So, all right. So, I'm not even getting to drink the champagne or yeah. anything, but you're still <laughs> it's all about me. Right. Excellent. So, we want to give a big shout out to Sasha Shearman who gave us a review and rating on iTunes and she's called it Get Writing. Now, Sasha has said, You've had a great idea for a novel for years, right? But where to start? You don't know how to write a novel and when you sit down with a pen in your hand or a keyboard hovering under your fingertips, the blank page taunts you. If you don't know how to get those ideas from your head to the page and from the page to the publisher, you need to listen to this podcast. Valerie Koo and Alison Tate are published authors with years of experience between them and every single episode is crammed full of practical tips about the process of writing. There are links to websites offering advice about writing and publishing as well as informative interviews with published authors. The main theme is just do it. Love that. Don't keep the ideas in your head. Stop just thinking about the great novel. Just sit down and write even a little bit every day and the words will keep piling up until you have a first draft. This podcast is the inspiration I needed to start and if I lose confidence just listening to an episode makes me feel like tackling the keyboard again. I'm really grateful to Val and Al for taking the time to share their knowledge about writing and publishing on this unique and entertaining podcast. Wow. That's practically a whole podcast episode right there in itself. I love that. Thank you so (laughs) much, Sasha. Yeah. I mean, 
I just yeah. blown away by that review. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And of course, if any other listeners have um um 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, that would be so awesome because it helps us in the rankings and helps us get the word out there to help other writers. So, Alison, have you done your Christmas shopping? So, this is one of those things that we were talking about that's taking up a small portion of my – well, actually, it's becoming more like a large continent section of my brain. Mm. Um, I, I have – it's one of those things where I have done most but not all and I just have that nagging need to get a gift for dad, you know, kind of thing going on in my yep. brain the whole time. So the answer – that's the long answer. Short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not finished. I have not as yet finished my Christmas shopping. But you said you've done quite a bit of it. Well, I have, but good. it's That's just like... there's always – but and also there's some extra people now coming for Christmas, so I need to kind of, you know, cover that off. Um, what I have bought is all the books. I've done that bit. So I've bought mm. all the books for all the people, more books than anyone will ever require. The book auntie has sent off the books to the nieces and nephews you know, I've got the books for the boys, I've got the books for my husband, mm. etc. So the books are all done. It's just the other well incendiary items that I haven't quite got to as yet. You're way ahead of me because I've done nothing. Well, I just um, find, I think it's also because, you know, you live in, when you live in the regional area, as oh, I yeah. do, yes. you sort of have to get your, you've got to get the more difficult items in early so, because you need to get them online. So you've got to make sure that mm. they are, are going to arrive. So I've done I've done that sort of stuff. I just haven't done the other bits. Well, in case any listeners are like me, we've got some links for you that are hopefully going to be useful because we're going to be talking about gifts, not <laughs> gifts, G-I-F, but gifts, G-I-F-T-S. Prezies. If we were talking about gifts, we'd have to be talking about gifs, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 which we're never going to go down that road, so let's not okay. do it. But no, we are talking about gift ideas. Yes. For and Christmas. You have a great link. I do. I love this. So, you took, like, this is, like, so cool that you've compiled this. This is this is the work of, of many weeks of work. Um, so... Uh, on my website yesterday, I have put together an ultimate list of all of my book lists. Now, you might have heard me talking over the last few weeks about the fact that I'm curating book lists for different websites. Um, and basically what those are is is book gift ideas for kids because, you know, everybody likes to give their kids a book or two for Christmas. I think they're a great Christmas gift because they are the gift that keeps on giving. They will entertain the child for much, much longer than the five minutes that the Nerf gun will do. <laughs> um, so I put, so I've done quite a few lists recently. So I think it's, it's like 10, 10 or more lists. Uh, I put them all together in one post called 100 plus gift book ideas for kids of all ages. And I'm going to put the link in the show notes because if you are looking for books for kids of all ages, I'm talking babies to teens, mm. a very difficult 14 plus age group, um, you will find it somewhere in this list. So what I've done is put all the links to all of the different book lists that I have done. So I have got picture book picks. I have got 15 tried and tested books for boys aged 13 and 14. Mm. Um, these are books that 
boys that age have recommended. I also have 13 expert choices by someone who, who knows what they're talking about. Um, I've got the recommend the updated recommended reading list for kids 10 to 14 from the Your Kids Next Room Facebook group. I've got spooky, scary books. I have got a, a great list that I really love, which is uh, 23 new books for tweens. Tweens are, you know, the sort of 10 to 13 age group. Very mm. difficult to buy for because a lot of them think they want to be reading YA, but there's a lot of stuff mm. in YA that's not quite right for them. So yep. I've got 23 new books by Australian women, specifically Australian female authors for them. I've wow. got 21 book gifts for reluctant readers. So kids who, for whatever reason, um, think they don't like reading. I have got 21 books there that uh, that I put together with Alison Rushby and Megan Daly, who are my co-hosts of the uh, yes. Your Kids Next Read Facebook group. Um, I've got 30 books by Australian authors. I've got books for girls. I've got books for – I mean, seriously, I have got books for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not quite sure what to buy a child in your life, whether that be your own or whether it be someone you're going to visit or a niece or a nephew or whatever, have a look at this. There will be something on these lists for you. I am trying to make life as easy as possible for you. And I'm also doing what – um, you know, we talked about earlier about supporting uh, supporting writers and things like that. This this is my way of helping to support um, authors, other authors. And I think it's a really important part of if you are an author with an online presence, I think it's a really important part of being part of the community is to yeah. support, you know, as many other authors as you can. So have a look. Um, if you're in Australia, there's a whole bunch of Australian authors on this list so you can support Australian authors. If you are in the US, the UK or any of our other international territories, most of these books are also available um, in your neck of the woods as well. So have a look. Yeah, it's awesome. It's such a comprehensive list. And if you can't find a an appropriate gift for the young person in your life from this list, you're not reading this properly. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's just... You know. Or if you have a if you have a very particular reader and, and 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 people do like there are some kids that are very very particular about what they will read and what they won't um and you're struggling pop into the your kids next read Facebook group and ask the question and you will find that you get a whole bunch of recommendations so mm. um I'll put the link to that Facebook group in there as well and if you want to buy a gift for an adult but can't think of what to buy, or even a kid, I suppose, but particularly adults, then you can think of um, getting a gift voucher from the Australian Writers' Centre. And, yeah, uh, yeah just go to writerscentre.com.au and there will be a little uh, cute icon of a of a Prezi and you can click on gift vouchers and that will take you through the steps you need to take. It's super simple. You can buy gift vouchers for different amounts so that, um, you know, it can suit your budget, but that's a really good one as well because it shows the person that you're believing in them and you can write a little mess, a personal message as well, you know, um, with the gift voucher upon purchase that will be sent to the, the recipient or, or that you can get the gift voucher sent to you and you can write your own message of course um but yeah it's a really good idea and I always find it heartwarming when when I see um people buy uh it, buy gift vouchers for people who they know just need that little a bit of encouragement that someone believes in them yeah and believe it believes in their writing so it's really um, actually it's actually really important I I think it's one mm. of those things in I know um, I've seen just recently on Twitter a discussion about um, it was a person who was saying that they that they 
they're trying to write a novel and they're getting no support from their family. Oh. You know, there's no support from their from their spouse. Yes. And and I, I, I understand, you know, I, I've met uh, many people in this situation and it can sometimes be very, very difficult to keep pushing through when it's just mm. you doing your thing. Um, mm. But I will also say that at the end of the day, the only person who can actually do this is you. So it's one of those situations where, I mean, I found it very, very difficult when I had young children and I was freelancing. I found it incredibly difficult because I had so many things that needed to be done and I had so much writing that I needed to do to get paid. And it's very, very difficult to carve out time for yourself to write under those circumstances. And I understand the situation that you are in because I have also been in that situation where you feel like when you're writing, you're, you're not with your family. You feel like you're being selfish. The fa- your family can feel like you're being selfish too because writing is such an incredibly solo activity. Mm-hmm. You know, you go into your head and you go into your study and you're in your room doing your thing or whatever it is that you do, uh, wherever you write, and no one can get to you there. And so your family feels very much like you're, you know, away from them. And if you are in a situation where you haven't published anything, you haven't been paid for it, it looks like the biggest you know, waste of time, let's face it, Mm. for many outside people who don't understand that need to write. They, you know, like you don't necessarily understand the need to write unless you have it. Um, So what I would say to you is that, you know, as as we've talked about many, many times, Val, I used to write my books in the middle of the night because Mm. it was the one time of the day where everyone else was asleep the house was quiet. I didn't feel like I was robbing them of my presence yeah. by doing what I loved because they they were unconscious. They, you know, they didn't care. It was all good. So sometimes, sometimes that's what you have to do. Sometimes it's about making that thing of like, I'm going to get up at five and write because everyone is asleep, or I'm going to write at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night because everyone is asleep. I am going to not watch crap late night television, or I am going to not read my book today. I'm going to write my story because it's important that other people believe in you, but it is more important that you believe in yourself, that you believe that you can get this done. And so make the time make it, find it, do whatever it is you have to do, but carve out that time to actually get those words down. Um, And if you've got someone who's willing to support you to do that with a gift voucher, that Mm. is the biggest possible boost. So if if there's someone in your life that you know, that, you know, you know, is struggling to do this, is struggling to, to kind of fit this stuff in and make the time, you know, that a little gift voucher, a little nudge, a a book about writing, just Mm. some little thing that says, I believe you can do this is really important. But if no one else is doing that for you, do it for yourself. Yeah, Get yourself fantastic. a course. Get yourself an on-demand course that you can do in the middle of the night. You don't have to be, again, look at where that time is for you, where no one can complain about what you're doing, whenever that might be, and use that time to the best of your ability. Awesome. And that was a bit soapboxy of me, but I really strongly believe this is what oh, this is. Absolutely. You have to find it within yourself. It is absolutely essential that you do this for yourself. It is the only reason to do it for yourself. Yeah. 
All right, for something a little bit different, we've also got a post. <laughs> well done, Al. Sorry, I was. I just. I'm so sorry. I just. I was just. I was having. I was feeling like a. You know, you should see me here. I've actually got. I've got hand movements. I feel like I'm standing in. I should be doing a TEDx talk on this. I am the TEDx talk via podcast. Right there. Oh my god. Okay, so I'm sorry. Um. Okay, for something a little bit different, we've got 10 unique gifts for hard-to-please grown-ups. And <laughs> these are some quirky gifts. All of them have a little bit of a writing or literary bent. And um, and they're just really fun gifts that are a little bit out of the ordinary. One of the things that I like in there is, have you been to escape rooms? No, I know you've talked about these before. You you did one with the with the writer centre team, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we've done them. about three now because oh man, it's so interesting because everyone's different skills and personalities really come out because you've got to solve this problem to escape from the room or solve a series of problems to escape from the room. And it's so interesting to see the people who work on the problem by themselves, the ones who collaborate, the ones who work out, you know, think a certain lateral think a certain way. Some people think more logically, some think laterally, some think, you know, from completely out of the box. And it's just really good fun. But um escape rooms is one of the ideas, uh, which which I think is really fun. But the other one is um um there's a thing where you can get an advent calendar for uh gin and whiskey lovers, which I think mm. is really cool. <laughs> So actually, maybe that would help me with my with my current seasonal stress. Like maybe what I actually need is just a nip of gin every morning. That would sort me out, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know about every morning, Al, mm. maybe in the evening to wind down. Really? I don't know. I think the mornings might be more useful to me right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking, really, sort of. <laughs> and, of course, there's a whole heap of um, other ones in there, including some including um, literary uh, – Lithographs, you know, lithographs, mm-hmm. where they're basically like art from books where you, you know, it's um, oh, classic yeah. contemporary books you love brought to life as beautiful literary products. So you can get a T-shirt with almost the entire manuscript of The Great Gatsby printed on it. Um, you can get a scarf with all of the text on it. It's pretty cool if you're, if you're, wor- if you're a word nerd. You know, or you can go simple and get a Scrabble mug, which is what I got for Christmas yes. from the Australian Writers Centre, <laughs> which is a mug with my name on it in Scrabble letters. And can yeah. I just share this with you? So I bring it home and yeah. I say to the builder, "Look, I've got this great new mug with my name on it." And he looks at it and he goes, "Every letter in your name is only worth one point." No. <laughs> what? I'm like seriously, that's what you notice about this. He goes, every letter is only worth one point, and I go, yeah, but there's seven of them, so I'd get a bonus fifty if I got it out on the board. Oh my god, that's hilarious! I know, and I just never realised that before. I'm kind of sad. What a thing to notice! Jeez. Well, and now I'm going to look and see what mine. Yeah, no, you should notice. You should have a look. I mean, it's it's so typical that this is this is the we are the what are you yin yang, zin zang, zen something. Anyway, whatever we are, we're the yin and the yang of, of everything. He, that's the, he's a details man. That's what he notices. I go, oh, isn't that pretty? He goes, all your letters are worth one point. Great. <laughs> I'm 
Thanks for pointing that out, darling. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes for all of this, but another link that we'll include is five great holiday gifts for kids and some awesome ones that aren't books, these ones, because that's in um, your list. These are different sorts of um, uh, puzzles and courses, writing courses that are just for kids. Um, You can give uh, your kids the gift of me. Yes. For yes. Christmas, the gift of me, 12 modules of Al right mm-hmm. at, coming right at them, including video feedback. Yes, in, personal in video feedback. Personal video feedback in the authorial jacket. I'm yes, just saying. Yes, on writing. The authorial jacket could be in your home. I think that this, of course, so anyway, of course, Alison is referring to her wonderful course, Creative Writing Quest for Kids, and it's suitable for kids, children, you know, 9 to 14, and it's great videos where Alison basically leads them through the how to create a story, but with a proper framework, so they're learning real skills that are going to carry them through life, and I think one of the most exciting things is that at the end, when they write their story and submit it, Alison reads it and uh, provides them personal feedback on their very own story via video so they get their very own personal video from Alison it's awesome so check it out uh it's uh create the creative writing quest for kids but we'll put all of the links in the show notes of course we will all right so let's move on to let's see what we're moving on to we are moving on to our competition this week Mm. now this month we've got a really cool competition because you can win a huge holiday pack, basically, to keep you going over the summer. So you can win big with our 12-book giveaway. One lucky person will start 2019 with a stack of great reads, including Pieces of Her by Karen Slaughter, The Bulldog Track by Peter Phelps. Remember Sons and Daughters? Yeah. Sons and daughters, love and laughter. That's right. Tears and happiness. And happiness. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Romantically Talented by Sammy Lucas, Beta by Rebecca Holman, Testament by Kim Sherwood, Sounds Appealing by David Crystal, Lenny's Book of Everything by Karen Foxley, The Knowledge by Martha Grimes, The Missing Pieces of Sophie McCarthy by B.M. Carroll, Hey Brother by Jarrah Dundler, The The Botanist's Daughter by Kate Nunn, and The Extremely Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Metalstone by Jacqueline Moriarty. All you need to do is tell us what word describes your 2018 and why. So just go to writercentercomau slash win in order to enter and you could win these 12 books. There you go. So now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> I am so, so ready, Val. I'm glad you are because the word of the week is bathos. That's B-A-T-H-O-S, bathos. I thought it was bathos. I do know this word. Do you? Yeah. We did it in year 12. We did it in year 12 (laughs) English and it has stuck with me for the five years it has been since I left year 12. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, whether it's bathos or bathos so it's not what it's not it's not pathos p-a-t-h-o-s which I learned that one in year 12 (laughs) so pathos refers to a touching or pathetic effect but bathos or bathos refers to I can't remember you'd think I'd remember wouldn't you I can remember the word but not how to pronounce it that's really tragic anyway that's all right at least we know how to spell it Mm. bathos refers to an anti-climax 
or as the Macquarie Dictionary puts it, a ludicrous descent from the elevated to the commonplace. So you might say, the powerful message in the novel was wrecked by the bathos of the final scene. Yeah, okay, so maybe, well, I've always thought of it as linked to banal. So maybe that's, yeah, because to me it it is very much that, yeah, it's got that, well, what just happened? You know, it's that. Mm, 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 Cool. What just happened? All right. Well, lots is lots is going to happen. Do I say lots is going to happen? Lots are going to happen. No, lots. A lot is going to happen. It's much better. I'm just so glad that I wasn't. It wasn't even going to touch that. I was just going to leave you hanging out there on the tree. <laughs> a lot is going to happen in our upcoming chat with our writer in residence this week, and that's Bernadette Schwert. Now, Bernadette is a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. She teaches copywriting essentials and how to build a copywriting business and SEO copywriting. And she's written a cool book uh, all about online businesses. So let's have a chat to the very interesting and um, multifaceted, as you will hear, Bernadette Schwert. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bernadette. Thank you, Valerie. It's a pleasure. Now, of course, we know you very well as one of our presenters at the Australian Writer Centre, and you teach a number of courses, including Copywriting Essentials, How to Build a Successful Freelance Copywriting Business, SEO Copywriting, and others. But one of the things I'd like to start talking to you about today is your latest book, How to Build an Online Business. And the subtitle is Australia's Top Digital Disruptors Reveal Their Secrets for Launching and Growing an Online Business. So firstly, I'm curious, why did you want to write this book about how to build an online business? Well, Valerie, I have an online business and I was always curious as to how other people did it. So I thought I would interview them. And so I actually wrote a book a couple of years ago called Secrets of Online Entrepreneurs, which was my first book. And then after that, it uh, became clear that, the, you know, things have progressed and uh, th- people have got a lot more sophisticated too, you know, uh, they, they are very savvy. And so what I wanted to do was provide a book that people could go to as a bit of a blueprint for how to build it from scratch. So how to um, firstly have an entrepreneurial mindset. You know, what kind of questions do you need to ask before you even begin? How do you choose the product or service that you're going to sell? Um, So that was kind of step one. Step two was to think about, well, what kind of um, MVP do you need? Like minimum viable product? How do you get it started? So there was five steps in essence in the book. And I just wanted to give people this step-by-step guide from beginners and novices they could follow. And also people who already have an online business. And when I say online, it's a bit like Animal Farm. You know, we're all equal, but some are more equal than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all online. It's just some are more online than others. So I just had to acknowledge that the, the title of the book's a bit odd because you think we're all online, but, you know, some are more online than others. Mm-hmm. So it really became a sense of for experienced um, entrepreneurs to think about, well, how do you go to the next level? And what better way to learn than to look at what other entrepreneurs are doing who have done it brilliantly and look at the patterns. So I took Mm. all the interviews I had from my first book. I added a brand new set of interviews with interesting people and I put all that research out there and I applied my own marketing principles to that and I came up with this five-step plan. And that's really what the book is. And it's very much practically oriented. It's tips, uh, lots of shortcuts, some hacks, lots of blueprints, templates, check sheets, all those sorts of things that people can find very accessible. 
But how did you come up with the five-step plan? Did you identify the patterns in amongst the people that you had already interviewed and saw the five most common things? Like how did you determine the blueprint? Yeah, it's a good question because I actually didn't have a blueprint blueprint before I started. I thought, you know, how what is the commonality amongst all these entrepreneurs? You know, what do they always ask before they begin building their business? So I sort of started to think, you know, what have they all got in common? And the interesting thing about an entrepreneur with their singular business is they don't necessarily know what other business owners are doing. You know, they're so engrossed in their own business that they don't have the time to look around them. And being the writer, you know, and looking in, I had that privilege, I guess, to get those inside stories. So, I had to make it up myself, to be honest, Valerie. I just thought, where do we begin? You know, I was just trying to pare it back, pare it back. How do you begin? What questions do you ask? What are the the hallmarks of those who've done really well? What are the hallmarks of those who've failed? And so, and I spent a lot of time ordering and structuring the content because it could have gone in a number of different ways. But at the end of the day, like any book, I had to rely on gut instinct and say, you know what? make a decision. This, these are the five steps. These are the five, these are the orders in which I want to progress and basically toss bits and pieces into each of those pots, you know, and just make mm. them work. Um, and they do overlap, you know, basically the entrepreneurial mindset would, you know, flow through the entire five-step model. Uh, mm. But you've got to start. And, and what I wanted to do with the mindset was to say, well, you've got to think a certain way. And if you don't ask these key questions, like a key question for any business owner is, what do you want? Do you want a lifestyle business? Do you want it to be something you do between the hours of nine and three and the school kid pickup? Um, or do you really want something that's going to go to an IPO? You want to, you know, retire in, in 10 years and make this your your life's work, because depending on your goals, you will do different things. You will build different websites. You will choose different products and services. You will, you know, hire differently. You'll collaborate differently. So, it's very important, you know, in those early stages to identify what is it you want. Uh, and that's, you know, part of the, the the entrepreneurial mindset. And so, when you're writing a book like this, because you, you, a lot of research is involved, you've obviously interviewed a lot of people, um, the the companies that are in there, you know, everything from Adore Beauty to uh, Amazon to Booktopia to Deals Direct to Gettable, to, there's countless companies in here. So I'm interested in your research process. Um, I guess there's various steps. First, how do you determine who you want to feature in your book? How do you go about researching them? And if you ultimately do interview someone from that, how do you um, almost like manage your research or file all of the mm. 10 million bits of information of all of the different companies and people who feature in the book? Yeah, it's a real elephant of a project. And I guess I had a starting point where I was a judge for an award, which was called the Online Retailers Industry Awards. They're called the Aureas and they're a bit like the Oscars, but for online. And I was a judge. And as a result of being the judge, I got access to all the award applications. And there were these big, thick documents, you know, of of the award, um, the entry, outlining all their strategies, you know, from their- What a gift. I know. And I didn't realize at the time, you know, because I was just the, this is before I wrote that second book and I was just 
going through all this material and thinking, this is gold. You know, you cannot get access to this. This is privileged information. And I, I am very keen to also, you know, let people know I had permission, you know, to uh, to reveal the, the, the secrets that some of those people mm. mentioned in their applications because obviously you were, you know, it was confidential information. But the beauty of that award process was I, I got to see all the applications. And as I was saying before, I got that access to this research all laid out in front of me. So that was sort of step one was I got the key questions that the award actually asks people to fill in. And I thought that was a really interesting template to think about because if you're starting an online business, any business really, um, you've got to know what your metrics are. You know, what kind of things should you be focusing on? And when you look at the award questions, I thought that's interesting. And I say that to all my students, my, my clients, whoever I coach, go to an award website, download the application and look at the questions they are asking. They are guidelines as to what you should be thinking about with your business. So anyway, that was step one. And when I saw this information and saw the detail that they were providing and the interesting thing, Valerie, was things like software, you know, uh, let's say a heat map software or optimizing software or um, user testing software, they all use the same stuff. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So it felt like a bit of a club that they all knew what to use. And anyone can find this information. It's just it takes a long time to sift through that, uh, you know, the the websites that are available and the software. So that was kind of my stuff. What, what, what do you mean by they all use the same stuff? Oh, the software. Like take um, Hotjar. You know, mm-hmm. it's a heat mapping piece of software. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of them use it. Recommendations engines you know, they all use the same piece of software oh. when it came to, um, you know, A-B a, testing. Oh, uh, okay. They use the same sorts of software. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's multiple versions of this software out there. Different companies do it, but they all use the same brand. Right. And I just found that very interesting and I saw that yeah, on multiple okay. occasions. And I thought, well, why would you go and test all this different software, trial and error, months and months, you know, thousands of dollars potentially of purchasing software when you can just use what the professionals are using? Yes. So, right. you know, that was a key learning for me. Um, the other thing in terms of managing or researching to start with. I'm a big newspaper reader and I make the distinction between newspaper and online because for me, I I just love newspapers. And Mm -hmm. when I'm reading a story, I feel like they've already been curated for me. You know, like the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald and you've worked in papers, you know what it's Mm -hmm. like. You do a lot of research to work out what stories you're going to run with. Whenever I read an entrepreneurial story, I tear it out and I put it in a box. And I didn't think too much about that. I just put it in a box because I knew that another book was in the wings. And then when the day came when the book was going to be written, I got all that information out and I just basically piled it up into various topics. You know, one might be entrepreneurial mindset, one might be MVP, one might be SEO marketing or SEM marketing. And so I basically put them in piles that I thought were homogenous. And so when it came to writing the book, I kind of had these piles, you know, of information sitting there that gave me a hint as to what those chapters could be about. And just in terms of the writing process, um, I found it very helpful just to establish what are the chapters. And I almost worked backwards. I thought, well, there can only be five to seven chapters in this book, just, just standard. And if there's only going to be five to seven chapters, what does each of these chapters need to do? And I asked the question, what do people 
want to learn? You know, what are their questions? What are their needs? Where are their gaps? So, I did kind of work from a marketing perspective of, you know, if that's my target market, what are their needs? And I wrote the book and I sort of reverse engineered that. So, those five to seven chapters were my starting point. And then I thought, whatever, all those articles, it was literally hundreds of newspaper articles. It was like a a hoarder, you know, in my study. I actually took a picture because I thought I have to prove to everybody that this wasn't, you know, um, just a, a small enterprise. It was this massive floor of paper. And I just basically um, put them in piles, put them in pots, and I thought, there's my five chapters, you know, and that's kind of how I worked. Cool. Uh, and what did you do with all of those bits of paper of the newspaper at the end? Well, have you I, had I, a bonfire? <laughs> I, struggled to, I struggled to throw them out because – there, yeah. It was literally years of research sitting in those boxes, mm-hmm. and um, and I had to do a recent tidy up because I'm getting some new shelving put in, mm-hmm. and I had to make the call. You know, it's been a year, and I did not look at any of those in the last mm-hmm. year, so I tossed them. I kept one little pile that was my sort of yeah, ideas pile. But um, the other thing that writers listening might find interesting was, um, and, and you asked, how did I manage all the research? Mm-hmm. And I took out a subscription to Scrivener. And I'd never used it before. And I found it really, really helpful because, Mm. in fact, I did the Scrivener course that Australian Writers Centre offers. So that was a really helpful um, tip. But when I got stuck into it, I was able to use Scrivener as a almost like a pinboard, you know, just lots of different ideas, different topics, and it was all kind of contained. But I didn't use Scrivener to actually write the content because when I started Mm. writing in Scrivener, I found the interface to be a little bit, clunky you know Mm. I I love my keyboard I love my word document you know and I'm very attached to that feel when I was writing in Scrivener it just felt different and I couldn't quite get my creative flow so I kept all the research in Scrivener and then I just copy and paste it into a word document and then I'd write it in my way with my own you know sort of user interface and then I would you know plug it back into Scrivener when it was completed so I had that kind of two screens going at the same time yeah now, in your other life, when you are not uh, writing books of this nature, you are also a copywriter and, as I've mentioned, you teach copywriting at the Australian Writers' Centre. What Can you just give us a brief um, idea of how you got into copywriting in the first place? Yes. Well, I was working in an advertising agency and I was an account director and I was working on the strategy side with clients like Colgate and American Express and Apple and and really enjoying it. But I always had this view of the copywriters who sort of sat in these other parts of the office. And I remember thinking, God, they got a good job. You know, I would love to be doing what they're doing. Uh, but you, in those days, you really didn't jump the, the divide. Yeah. You know, it was quite strict. Anyway, long story short, I... Uh, left advertising to work for Harry Miller and um, got into sponsorship and celebrity publicity. And then I decided to become an actor, which is kind of another story. But while I'm supporting myself as an actor, I went back to my advertising agency and I went back as a freelancer in account director and they basically just hired me to do whatever they wanted me to do. While I was there, I got the chance to write some copy. And that made me realise, you know what, you don't need um, to be doing a degree to become a copywriter. You just have to understand marketing and have the flair for words. And so I really understood that you um, you can just pick up and run with it. You don't have to study it for years. And the coursing, in terms of the training of copywriting, I got started because a company asked me to train their copywriters in real estate. And uh, I basically put this course together. The course didn't go ahead. 
So I had all this course material ready to run and I thought, well, that's a waste. Why don't I just run it myself as a short course through Melbourne Uni where I was working at the time? And uh, that became a five-week course and then that just went off. People just enrolled because it was a bit of a test, you know, it was a yeah. minimum viable product. Yeah. And um, and I was kind of the first copywriting trainer to offer it outside of the industry because you yeah. could – be trained within the industry um, bodies, but you could not be just a business owner or anybody and just get trained. It was kind of off limits. So that was really where the copywriting uh, started. And uh, and I remember a friend of mine, because I had this big issue about being a fake, you know, about I, I don't have the right to call myself a copywriter because I haven't been trained. And he said to me, do you write briefs in advertising? I said, yes. He says, do you um, write reports? Yes. Do you correct the copy that comes back from the copywriters? Yes. And so he asked me these couple of questions. He said, you know what? You're a writer. He said, don't get hung up on it. He said, you're already writing. He said, I now anoint you a writer. Go <laughs> forth and write. And I remember that moment so clearly because I kind of needed this permission from someone else to say, you know what? You're already doing it. Mm. And out of all the coaching I do, Valerie, one of the key questions I get is, um, how do I build my confidence as a copywriter? And the students who I work with, you know, they always, almost always have amazing experiences in other areas that involve writing, but not copywriting. So they might have done, a, um, you know, an academic um, thesis. They might be already writing tenders or they might be writing, um, you know, screenplays or something. And I say, you're already writing. You just don't know that it's writing, you know, and it's all those skills apply themselves to copywriting mm -hmm. and it's just a restructuring of the templates and it's a different way of thinking, but the, you are already a writer. So don't get too hung up on, you've got to spend three years in a marketing degree to get that because that is not the way you're going to become a copywriter. Yeah. So there are an increasing number of people um, who are not yet copywriters, but they are freelance writers and maybe they're used to writing features or maybe they're, they're, they're writing fiction, but copywriting can be appealing to some people because it is something, it's a space where you can make um, decent money in a, without having to wait for a whole novel to come out, you know. Mm. So in terms of, um, so that's, and obviously that's why your copywriting course um, is really popular. What do you see as some of the more, um, the, the opportunities, copywriting opportunities that are around these days that are, you know, quite popular? Because obviously the, 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 the business world has changed a lot over the last even just five years and so and different things come up. So, yeah, what are the trends now, I guess? Yeah, well, what's happening in advertising is it's being decentralised because in the old days you'd go to an agency and get all your work done and the work for freelancers was a little bit limited. You know, you'd have to sort of go through an agency. Now, nobody, not nobody, but lots of small businesses do not want to go to an agency because they're paying for the cream biscuits, they're paying for the percolated coffee, <laughs> they're paying for the flowers on the reception desk and the marble, yes. you know, um, reception. Yes. These days they just want the copywriter you know, and you can work freelance. You don't need to have all the accoutrements of an agency behind you. So that would be one massive shift. Um, secondly, the explosion for the need for copy because in the old days it was copywriting and now it's called content marketing or content writing. Mm. And uh, it, it's a very slight difference between the two, but nonetheless, the explosion uh, for that need has happened because 
websites. People need content. SEO is based on having great content. And also this element of trust in terms of working with a um, for example, if you're trying to sell something, in the old days you could send an email or maybe a sales rep out and they would buy, but now there's this big gap in the middle, which is content marketing. People want to read an ebook about the business. They want to see a video of you talking about the business. They want some case studies. You know, They want uh, more emails. So there's a lot more content required in order to build the trust that enables that consumer to feel that this company is for them. So that big pipeline of content needs to be written by somebody and that's where the copywriters come in and uh, I think also people are realizing that it's not just something everyone can do there is a process it is an art it is a science and there are structures and if you learn the structures you can write very quickly very efficiently but most people struggle because they don't understand it's like you don't know what you don't know but once you get your eyes opened to the process you go oh is that how it's done thank you you know so that's really rewarding from a copywriting tutor's point of view because you really do help people write more quickly and suddenly the creativity inspiration aspect is taken off the table. Yes, it's important, but it's not the only thing. There are structured questions that need to be answered. There are processes that need to be followed. And once you know them, you can write more quickly. Yeah, there's a real framework. Um, So another thing that a lot of writers are wanting to be more aware of these days is the art of SEO copywriting. Now, is SEO, um, how important is SEO and how important is SEO knowledge of SEO writing to a copywriter? Mm. Well, SEO is the art of search engine optimization, and it's a bit of an art in the sense that a lot of people don't even know about it. And uh, and they put out a website and they get put on page 10 of Google for their search terms and they wonder why. And when you brief them and you say, you know what, there's this a series of factors that are involved in getting your website from page 10 to page one. Mm. And if you know what those factors are, you can influence it. Now, no one has the ability to guarantee it will go from page 10 to page one. But if you follow those processes that Google put out, and they're very publicly available, then you've got a better chance. So, in my mind, every purchase begins with research on Google, you know, 75% 75% of searches start with Google, 10% start with uh, the Chinese search engine. So it's the dominant search product. So you've got to go with it. And um, if you don't understand what those search engine optimization principles are, you are languishing because your website will never get on page one. It won't even get close. And the beauty of knowing some of these principles is that you can beat the bigger players you know, because it's not just about Coke dominating because they've got a bigger site. You know, there are other factors involved that, you know, can influence you getting closer to where Coke are, you know, on page one. And uh, that's the, the nice thing about SEO is if you do the groundwork, you can start to go head to head with the bigger players with deeper pockets. Mm. Do you think it's essential for a copywriter to know SEO copywriting because you know obviously there are some copywriters who they might write annual reports or brochures or stuff like that that don't necessarily go online they might be still writing flyers and stuff like that so how essential is it yes well for me it's absolutely essential because in this era if you work with a client um you can firstly offer a better service to them 
because you're able to give them some assurances that the work you're doing for them will actually influence their paid rank. So that's got to be worth something in terms of a premium of the copywriting fee that you charge. Um, Secondly, you will be um, able to provide a point of difference to other copywriters because there's lots of copywriters out there now. I've trained many of them. (laughs) I've sort of created this um, explosion of freelance copywriters on the market, Mm -hmm. and that's fantastic. But in terms of who do you go with as a a business owner, wouldn't you want to go with a copywriter who has a a background in SEO? Mm -hmm. Because you kind of get these, you know, two skills for the price of one. Uh, So, for those two reasons alone, I think any copywriter would be, uh, would see it as a good investment. Not to mention, I'll give you a third reason, it's confidence. You know, if you do the SEO course, you know, through RWC, you can almost guarantee that you'll know more about SEO copywriting than 85% of the population. Simply because you've got this focused effort, all the research that I've created, it's in the course. Um, So you walk away thinking, you know what, I know exactly how to get started. So when you talk to a client who has no knowledge of SEO, you can really educate them and you can really build this trust and they get the sense of, well, she or he knows what they're doing. Let me defer to them. Um, Every client wants to be led. You know, they don't want to have to know it all. Um, they want to give over some of that control. And when you can provide clients with that assurance that you know what you're doing, then, you know, it builds a great relationship. And, and of course, SEO is not just a one-off thing. You know, you have to keep creating content. You have to keep, keep adapting some of the material that you put online. So, um, for all those reasons, I think it just gives you a sense of mastery about what you're doing, not to mention staying ahead of the, the curve for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think there's been a real shift in, say, I remember 10 years ago, because when you thought of SEO writing 10 years ago, it's, I used to remember looking up um, websites and you would see just these random strings of words that didn't quite make sense. Mm. And they were put in the meta tags or they were put just put in the the, the body copy. Um, and I think one of the things you've mentioned to me in the past is that they used to be basically written by the IT guy or girl, whoever, you know, the person in charge of mm. IT, they, they would um, stuff it with SEO words. Um, but that has really shifted these days and is no longer um, the domain of, of, of the IT people and has moved towards the the responsibility of copywriters. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, the pendulum has really swung because you're quite right. In the past, it was the domain of the IT department or the web developer, and, you know, they controlled that. And and, and it is there is an absolute technical element to it, no doubt about that, uh, and that still remains. However, on top of all that tech background is the copywriting element. And as a result of this, um, the opportunities for copywriters to be able to provide their expertise to clients is increasing because it is about the words you choose. It's the keywords that you decide on. It's the keywords you put in your headlines, in your title tags. It's the way you name your images. It's the text you put in your hyperlinks. Um, yeah, all these basic little one percenters add up to a very big percentage in terms of how you get ranked. And and I guess that's the beauty of SEO is once you know these key hotspots 
of where you have to put these keywords, then you are in a, a much greater position to influence your ranking. Not to mention things like backlinks, you know, looking at getting other people to publish your material and have your website link on their pages. And that links back to you, big brownie point, as far as Google's concerned, citations. You know, there's lots of other things that you can do kind of from an outreach point of view that enables you to um, increase your ranking. Now, um, if there are people who are listening to this who they're not really wanting to be copywriters, um, but they are authors or they may have their own websites or blogs and they would be interested in being found by Google or having their blog posts or whatever found by Google. Now, um, we obviously don't have time to go through an entire course on a podcast episode, but if you could just give us a couple of principles of SEO that anyone can do. Um, what might they be? Mm. One thing that has to be asked at the very beginning is, what are you selling, you know, and what do you want to be found for? So, once you've established that, um, then you have to work out, well, what are people typing in into Google uh, to find what you've got? And so, it really starts from just from an instinctual point of view is to think, just brainstorm in your own time, what are people typing into Google? to find you and those products. They become the foundation of your keywords. And then once you know what those keywords are, and there's another quick way also, it's, um, you know, when you type into the Google bar, uh, Google gives you a bit of a predictive drop-down menu about what other people have searched for uh, yes. like that. That's really worth paying attention to because what Google is saying is this is what other people are looking for in terms of what they're typing in. So, from that volume point of view, that's been mm. very popular. So, that's giving you an instant clue as to, mm. you know, what um, other people are searching for vis-a-vis your topic. So, well, you just... I have to say that's kind of hilarious because sometimes, I mean, we all Google ourselves at some point and sometimes <laughs> I type in Valerie Koo and then the things that come up are Valerie Koo, husband, Valerie Koo, married, Valerie Koo, age. <laughs> Valerie Koo has visited this page 20 times, yeah. <laughs> that's bizarre. Yeah. Anyway, Sorry, go on. Well, you can go into Google Incognito. You know, there's a little tech. Just yeah. look up Google Incognito so you can actually look at it from a blank slate point of view. Yes, and also, yes. even if you go to a library or use someone else's iPhone or use someone else's, you know, iPad, yes. use different devices just and type up your words and just yes, see yes. what comes up because then you get a little bit more of an honest um, assessment. But but that's they're not the things I, I don't search for Valerie Koo husband or Valerie Koo married. It's obviously it, they're terms that are what other people have searched for, which Absolutely. I find slightly strange. <laughs> yeah, I know, isn't it? It is. I've got, this is, believe it or not, it's yeah, sometimes I look up me and I go, they go, Bernadette Schwert, hot. It's like, me? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> What's going on with that? I I've love never been that. hot. I've never been hot in my life. It's never been a phrase that's been that attached so to me. Funny. And it's also, so you know, funny. the old stuff comes back because I was in Neighbours many years ago and it's like Bernadette mm. were na- women of neighbours, you know. So, oh you've got God. old stuff going out there too. So, that nothing so gets funny. lost on, on Google. So, you know, that's just a basic, you know, principle just to have a quick look and see what um yeah other people are typing in and then as i sort of just touched on a moment ago you can take those keywords or phrases and then you pop them into the hotspots that google are looking for and first up it's the title tag so when you type into google and then you get the search results page you know there's nine or ten listings they're called search results pages and each one of those represents a website the the words that are in that top title, sort of in the blue uh, blue font, blueprint. Mm. That text is super important to Google 
because it tells Google what the page is about. And that text is written by the web owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's certain spaces you put it in in the back end. So if, if just on that level, just looking at your title tags, which represents a page on your website, make sure that's got your keywords in it. And then even in the description, uh, you know, those those characters underneath, the um, Google doesn't necessarily look at that from a ranking perspective, but the reader absolutely looks to that to see if that's of interest to them. So I, I say to my students in the course, treat those as headlines for an ad. You know, it's a headline for the website and for the website. So that's just stage one. Stage two is once you get to the website. So taking header one, uh, that's the headline. So it's worth putting in some keywords into that headline. Uh, header two, which is basically the subhead, put some keywords in there. Uh, it might be, as I said, some images that you've got. Normally, they just go to a default uh, labeling. Therefore, you could maybe rename them using some keywords. And then you actually get found on Google Images as well, because Google Images is a search engine in and of itself. So there's just a couple of ideas on how an author could um, be found more easily. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. So obviously, there's uh, more that, you, that um, listeners can find out more about in the course. But uh, since you've gone there, Bernadette, which era of Neighbours were you in? Oh, well, it's funny. Um, I was, I've been in four episodes. So I've, I've mm-hmm. played four different roles and I've played a really? range from, yeah, I've played like a, a PR lady. I played a newsreader. I played a counselor and I played a farmer, believe it or not. And, That's um, so yeah, and they just pop up on TV every now and then. And I get texts from people saying, we you with neighbors recently, you know, so <laughs> I do have it. A bit of a giggle. It's a bit of fun. But, you know, it's funny. I was doing a costume fitting for this role that I was playing and they went to so much effort. You know, it was like a button that they were trying to find. And I said to the guy, gee, you put a lot of work in just defining this button. And he said, and he was very camp, he said, oh, darling, don't you know, this is seen by a billion people. And I thought, he's absolutely right. Because in my world, it's just neighbours, you know, something yes. down the road in Melbourne that I go and shoot. But it is a bit, you know, there are billions of people watching the show and have done for decades. And it just was a bit of a, um, a rain check that this is, it might be small in Australia, but it's a massive enterprise yes. elsewhere. And sort of following on from that point, um, do you still juggle uh, writing books, uh, copywriting, teaching copywriting and acting? The acting has taken a bit of a back seat, Valerie. I've got a family now and it's really hard to to balance that. And to be honest, I get my my thrills from speaking. You know, I, right. I do a lot of professional speaking and, and I'm on the stage and the lights are on and the audience is there. And to me, it's not that big a difference from acting. Yeah. And the only difference is I get to write my scripts, I get to mm-hmm. direct it, and I get to choose when and where I do them. And I get paid more, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's a bit more family friendly and I absolutely get my jollies because I still get nervous. Um, <laughs> I treat it like a show and uh, it, it says it's as good as being a theatre production as being, you know, doing something at a theatre show, you know, yeah. for a, a play. So it's, I'm not saying I'm not shutting the door on it, but I, and I, I love it, but it's just more amenable to where I am in my life right now. I love it. That's where you get your jollies. <laughs> I do. And like people, like you speak, you know, and uh, yeah. people say, why do you like speaking? And I say, mm. it terrifies me, but I love being terrified because 
it's a sense of accomplishment, you know, that I've overcome the fear. And I don't want to be fearful of things in my life. You know, I like mm. to think I whatever makes me scared, I tend to be gravitated, I gravitate to. So it's just, it's just part of that um, actor makeup. You know, you enjoy the thrill of um, putting yourself on the line. Yeah, awesome. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Bernadette. Thank you for having me, Valerie. There you go, Bernadette Schwartz and uh, her book, How to Build an Online Business. And of course, she's the font of all knowledge uh, for all things to do with copywriting and SEO writing. And you should definitely check out her SEO copywriting course, which you can find at writercenter.com.au slash SEO. So writercenter.com.au slash SEO. So what are you doing in the coming week, Al, until we chat again? Uh, well, I'm writing because I'm trying to finish my manuscript before the boys go on holidays. I'm, when I'm doing all those other, I've got, you know, I've just got my to-do list, babe, and I'm mm. checking it off. I've got my list. I'm checking it twice. I'm going to find <laughs> out who's naughty and nice because that's yes. all I can do. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, what about you? What, are you? what will you be doing? What will I be doing? I've got some things to follow up on. Um, I spoke this week at an event for about 100 women on um, following your creative curiosity. And what Mm. I'm hoping is to get more of my to-do list done so that I have the time and space to follow my creative curiosity. Mm. Because I just love going down rabbit holes and reading books and just researching stuff that I'm interested in um, just to – just not for any particular goal, really, just because I'm curious. Mm. I think it's really Good fun. idea. Yes. All right. So anyway, where do we find you online now? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at alisontaitwriter. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, please connect with both of us in the Facebook group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. It's free to join. We'd love, you ha- love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.